What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring, and we would stop listening. But God is not boring, and neither are His songs, which means we can come to Him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who He is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for His good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in His songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. be the last week that we have that intro. I know some of you guys know it by heart by now, so then we'll have a new one, but it's going to be shorter. So that's what I say every time. We'll see. Um, so I'm Dale Huntington. I'm the lead pastor for City Life San Diego, and um, uh, it's great that you're here with us this morning, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you uh, about Psalm 139, because I love Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm of King David. Uh, if you know anything about King David, you know that he was uh, said to be a man after God's own heart. He was also uh, famous in Israel for his military conquests and also his conquest of women that were not his wife. Um, he was known for uh, specifically peeping a lady who was taking a shower, then taking her to become his wife uh, after he killed her husband and impregnated her. So this guy, he knows what it's like to not be perfect. A lot of times we look at the, the Psalms and we're like, oh, this was written by someone who's much better than me. And I'm just going to say to you, David had some like cool streaks. He also had some issues. Um, and so as we read today from Psalm 139, I want you to consider the fact that this is a very imperfect vessel that's, that's writing this. This is someone who has has problems. And so as you struggle, uh, as I struggle, it's okay to read into this and say, this was a guy who had issues. And that's okay. So um, we have Bibles available in the back corner. If you don't have one, um, you can take it and keep it, or you can grab it and borrow it. But we're going to be in Psalm 139. Uh, I already had Tan read this morning from 1 through 6. We're going to specifically be studying 7 through 18. Psalm 139, 7 through 18. Psalm 139, 7 through 18. Can I read it for you? Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night shines like the day, and darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned, before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are, but we also feel that sometimes um, we feel that your tender heart towards us is not deserved. We've cursed you. We've used your name to curse others. We've used your name to just curse. We've hated those you've loved. We've treated fame, drugs, food, drink, sex as more important than you. And still, still you love us and you look to us who believe in you as innocent children. Thank you. Thank you for being better than us on our best day. Today we ask your blessing on those who hurt, those who weep, those who suffer from addiction, those who suffer from mental illness. God, would you give them grace? We ask that you would be with our friend Bill, who's in the hospital this morning, that you would bless him, be with his doctors, you'd be healing him. God, teach us today. Lord, guide us. Make us more into who you would like us to be. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, last year, my daughter, okay, so um, let me just say this about Harry Potter. If you've got a thing against Harry Potter, uh, when I do Harry Potter with my kids, we talk about truth and witchcraft and all that stuff. But okay, we could talk later if you've got a problem with Harry Potter. Okay, so last year, my daughter wanted to read the third Harry Potter book with me. She's a voracious reader. She loves reading. She got it from me. Um, and uh, I had this problem with it because, you see, when my daughter uh, reads something that's scary to her, I don't sleep. Um, she wakes me up. She wakes my wife up more than me because I can sleep through a lot. But she wakes us up. She's afraid. She needs the nightlight that like pierces the whole, the whole room, you know. Um, and so we made a deal with my daughter who really wanted this third book because I've been reading the first two with her. We made a deal that um, if she could go three straight nights without her nightlight, um, then I know she's not too afraid to read a book that might be just a little bit scary. Um, and so after two nights, she said, Dad, I can't make it. So nightlight came back, and then I didn't have to worry about reading it to her anymore. Uh, about a month later, she said, I want to try again, and she did the three nights. And so um, we started reading The Prisoner of Azkaban, um, and uh, it, you know, it's just a little bit scarier than the first two. And so um, I told her that when she would go to bed at night, because I read it to her before bed, good dad, um, she would go to bed and she'd be afraid. And I would just remind her, like, mommy and daddy aren't going anywhere. Like, when you see that sliver of light under the door, that means we're there. That means we're there and we're nearby. Um, now, we might be playing Mario or something, but we're, we're going to protect you. Um, so I told her mommy and daddy would still be there. I told her mommy and daddy would be close. She could see the light. Um, and she knew that mom and dad were not far off. And, and that's going to be what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to give you three points for people who feel far from God. Um, now, all of us, even the strongest Christians, have times when we feel like God is far away. 
And so this is going to be hopefully applicable to all of us. And um, my first point for us today is we cannot escape God's loving presence. We cannot escape God's loving presence. That is such good news, friends. Where can I go to escape your spirit? In verse 7, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shoal, uh, you are there. It's like the grave. Some would call it how, but it would just be death. Um, if I live in the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. He's got his hands on you, friends. So here, David is talking about something uh, called the omnipresence of God. Um, this idea that God's presence is everywhere, that you can't hide from him. That's either the best news in the world for you, friends, or it might be the worst news in the world, depending on how you feel about that. The good news is he's always there. The bad news is, for some of us, like, he's always there. And which means, like, God, I'm trying to sin, and you were up in my business telling me there's a better way, and I don't really like that. And so for us, um, when we consider what it means that God is always present, it, it can be a blessing, but at times when we want to go our own way, when we want to be God of our own life, it can feel like a curse. Now, this idea of omnipresence is not normative for most religions, actually. If you research many of the religions, and having grown up as a Baha'i, uh, I, I learned a lot about different religions. But when I became a Christian, I saw something new in Jesus. I saw something new in the God of the Bible. I saw something new in the Trinity that I had not experienced in any other faith. And uh, that is that he's omnipresent. Now, why is that different? Well, let's, let's talk about it. In Ghana, there is a tradition that God left humanity because a woman kept hitting him in the face with her pestle when she was grinding yams. That's the story in Ghana. I don't know why they're dropping, uh, they're dropping that lady under the bus, but uh, that's why God left them. He couldn't, he couldn't handle them anymore because of the pestle hitting him in the face. Um, now, uh, you're going to see that for some reason another tribe in Nigeria, the Ibo in Nigeria, say that when women used to cook, they would break off small pieces of heaven and put it in their soup. Um, the, the legend says that they love the sweet taste of heaven. And um, this soon alarmed the god, the lowercase god we're going to use of the Ibo, because he knew that his heaven was limited, and he would be destroyed by all the women wanting sweeter soup. Um, and so, you know what he decided? He decided to move heaven out of women's reach. Well, isn't it funny that they're throwing the women under the bus and all these stories? I just think it's weird. Um, uh, then in the Greek and Roman gods, uh, they, were, they were said to, to live on Mount Olympus, a palace just above Mount Olympus, in the clouds, separate from humanity, separate because humanity stinks, humanity smells, humanity's flaws, and these gods were considered to be perfect. So isn't it interesting that we have a God who we believe to be perfect, and, and I would say he is perfect, but he's here, and he's present, and he's in our best moments, and he's our dirtiest, grossest, awful, most embarrassing moments. The same God is present in those. And the cool thing is, is that he is present, and he is all-loving, and he's full of grace. That is such good news, friends, that he wouldn't flee from you, and he's there. Our God knows you. He knows the things you think. He, think. he knows your thoughts. He knows everything, and still, 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 he's closer than your skin. He's seen you reject him, and instead of being disgusted by your sin and your stench, he is near. He's not hidden from your junky past and current bad mistakes. He's right here. If I were God, 
I think I would be more like, you know, like the Roman or the Greek gods. I would be like, you know what? I'm going to go chill in my castle up on Mount Olympus because it's away from you guys. Because, you know, if you look on like, you know, online, you see what humans do, right? We're kind of like, we make mistakes. We get something beautiful and we destroy it. We like to tear things down. Uh, We like to seek after me, me, me. And still God does not decide to leave us. He does not forsake us. He's present with us. What a good God. The thing is, he's here even when we do the worst. One author says that when we sin, we offend the Almighty to his face. Now, uh, Pastor uh, Jay Motyer says this. He says, perhaps even more scary than a God who pursues you to the ends of the earth is the one who is already there when you arrive. That's kind of cool. So I've already talked about Harry Potter, so I already know I might get an email from you, so I'm just going to stay on that, uh, that train right now. And um, there's a, a book, and uh, it's the book we just read. It's The Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't know why I'm on Harry Potter today. Um, but in the book, there's a guy who decides that he is going to hide from everyone else, and he's going to become like a little mouse, a little rat. And um, there we go. So we already know that it's Scabbers. Um, and uh, why am I talking about this? Here's the deal. This guy tries to hide from everyone else. But there is something called the Marauder's Map. And the Marauder's Map is something that reveals everyone and and where they are. It's all seeing. And so even though this guy hides as a rat, he is seen by everyone who looks at the map. And he thinks he can hide. And he thinks he can get away with what he's done. But the thing is, is that the map reveals all. And in the same way, God sees us. You know, I'm going to go back and just pretend I didn't have that one. It didn't work for me. So (laughs) trying to hide from God is silly, friends. It's not like when we, when, it's not like we can get away from him easily. And, and that's a bad thing and a good thing, right? When I play hide and go seek with my kids, um, they think they can hide from me. Um, my daughter can do it, but I have, I have a son and he's six and he's not great at hiding. And so when it's time for my son to hide, he can only last a few moments. And I think in many ways we're like that, where we start to make noise, we start to draw attention to ourselves and they're seen. The fact is, is I know where my kids are. I know where they hide. They pretty much have the same hiding spaces. I know to go and I know to see them. And that's the same thing with God. Like a loving God, we think we can hide from him. We think we can go away from him, but still he is present. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. Am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away? Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. So there's something called pantheism, and that's that like God is like the rivers, and God is the trees, and stuff like that. But here's the thing. God is not pantheistic. He's not the trees, but he's everywhere all the time. So it's bigger than that. God is in the oxygen we breathe. Like he fills the space around us. That is how we are to see God. It's not pantheism, but it is omnipresence. There's no way to flee from him. And the cool thing is, is even though he's everywhere, and even though he knows us, and he knows what's written on your heart, he still loves you. If we had a Twitter feed of our thoughts throughout the day, friends, we would all be fired from our jobs, wouldn't we? Everyone would be mad at us. But God doesn't end it with us. He presses into us. 
You can't hide from God because the darkness is light to him. Okay, so God knows us. God knows everything about us, but not only does he know us, he chose us. He knew you would sin against him, knowing you would reject him, knowing you would sleep around, knowing you would go back to drugs, knowing you would be a gossip. God still chose you. He knew that you, could, you would do that thing that you did in your sophomore year of college. He knew about it. Like the thing that you've hidden from everybody, he knows. Still, he chose you, friends. And that's our second point, is that God chose us before time was a thing. God chose us before time was a thing. He chose you and he formed you before you were you. Verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. I love the one that says fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me, and when I was formless, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That is beautiful poetry, isn't it? God, you know me well, and you have always known me. I'm not sure that I can preach this verse without one quick caveat, friends. Um, Friends, the numbers would say, based on uh, how many women we have in this room, uh, we've had abortions in this room. Um, And most likely, several men have encouraged women to pursue it in the room. I want to say this before I go any any further. You are not your decisions. Um, I want to make sure that you hear me. You are not your your, your decisions. You're not your bad decisions. You're not your mistakes. And you have nothing but grace and love here. Also, as we see in this verse, you are first and foremost a beloved child of God. Now, I'm going to tread lightly here as best I can. I ask for your grace. If this argument riles you up, all I can do is ask for that grace as I speak on this for one moment today. This verse reveals to me God's idea of life. The verse shows me God's plan for us is in utero. It's before that. God is knitting us together in the womb. However, pro-choice and pro-life people struggle to speak to one another. And I think as Christians, we have to consider the way we speak to those who are on the other side of the aisle. And one of the things that, um, that I hear usually is this. I hear, you like killing babies. I hear that on one side, and I don't think that's true. And then I hear, you just want to control women's bodies. And I don't think that's true either. I think that we have this argument, and we set up these straw men on each side. And I just want to say this. I think as Christians, we have to learn to disagree kindly with people um, who we do not agree with. And um, I think one of the ways that we can speak on this issue is we have to, A, consider the person we're speaking to a beloved child of God as well. And I think that we struggle to do that. Um, because honestly, when um, Jesus talks about anyone who has anger in their hearts, he calls them a murderer, right? In need of grace from God. So before we yell at someone who's having an abortion, we have to consider the fact that um, God considers our anger just as bad. Now, we are called to defend the defenseless as well. So we have ourselves in this place, and we have to fight through it. And, and here, let me just say, if you choose to go into an argument with someone about this, A, I think it needs to be a discussion, but B, there is one place where I feel like the discussion is most valuable, and that is where you say that you believe that this is a life, and that the disagreement is based on what you believe life is. And I would say to someone who is interested in abortion that I believe that this is a life, 
based on what I see in the scriptures, based on the fact that God is knitting together this child in his mother's womb. <clears throat> so, <laughs> um, Christians, if you're going to engage someone, I would encourage you to say, I believe this is a life here. And maybe recognize to that person that they don't. Like, we have to understand what they believe at the same time and say, um, here is why we believe this is a life. Here's what we see written in Scripture. Um, and then we have to show grace. And I believe as Christians, we've got to be the best at adoption. We have to be the biggest advocates of adoption in, in, any, in any other place in the United States. It should be Christians who are at the forefront of adoption. And that is why every year we have an Adoption Sunday. We have an Orphan Sunday because we have to push this. If we're going to say truly that we believe this, then we have to put our money where our mouth is. Right, friends? <clears throat> so, I got past that, right? Okay. Um, God loved us before we were us. He knit us together in our mama's womb. When my wife was pregnant with our first child, Faith, I loved my daughter before I met her. Like, I absolutely loved her. And um, when we had a miscarriage, I loved that child too. What was interesting is when my daughter was about like 35 weeks, it was like so weird because when she was born, she was going to be like zero. But it's like I loved her for this whole time. When I knew she was a thing, I loved her. In the same way, when, when God knew you were a thing. He loved you. And from the beginning of time, he knew you were going to be a thing. He loved you from the beginning of time. And friends, many of us have lost children. Many of us have lost children based on our choices, based on people who have pressured us, based on the fact that we just have had miscarriages. And it's something to understand that God absolutely loves those children. God embraces those children. And it's a good thing that, that they are embraced by him now. And so... Um, for those of you who have adopted, I think in the same way, you knew that you loved that child before you met them. Before you met your child, you loved them. In the same way, God knew he would love you before you were even living. Um, there's a, a movie called Tai Mai. Um, it's a Spanish movie that I watched on Netflix. And uh, it was about this, uh, this woman whose daughter was adopting a child in Vietnam. And uh, the daughter died. Her 24-year-old daughter uh, passed away. And the grandmother was already a grandma. She decided, I am this child's grandma. And so she, she did what she could, and she went to Spain. She falsified some documents to try and get her child, her granddaughter, that she wanted to raise as her own. Why? It, because until the, the adoption process happens, it's not your child, is it? It's not your grandchild. But for her, that was already her child. And so in many ways, like we have to consider God loved you before, he knew, before you were a human being, before you were created, God loved you. I think it's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 6 says this, Blessed is the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Friends, before you were born, God made the decision to welcome you into his family. God chose you as sons in, to be in his family. And we know that the scripture here says sons because sons receive an inheritance. 
So women, you are sons. If us guys have to be called the bride, then we got to call you the sons, okay? (laughs) So you were chosen as sons because sons receive inheritance from God. (laughs) It says that we were enemies with God, but here we are called sons. Not servants. We don't enter through the back door. Not sons or daughters, but sons. This is good news, friends, and this is the gospel, that we had a debt to God as enemies. We found ourselves in a relationship that was no good. We found ourselves in need of something. Job, in the book of Job, he said, if only there were a mediator who could help me and God to work this out. If only we could have worked it out together. And yet, and yet, Jesus willingly left the perfection of heaven for you because he loves you, because he wanted to adopt you into his family. Now, that takes a lot when you consider what it's like to be in heaven and to come here to this earth where there's imperfections, where people would send you from trial to trial because you were no good in their eyes, where the religious people would mock you and pull out your beard and spit at you, where you would get the common cold, where you would get the flu, where you would get sick. For Jesus to be willing to come to this earth because he wanted you in his family, that is good news. And then to die as a perfect sacrifice on your behalf? Friends, that's amazing. And then he rose again, showing that he had conquered all sin and death. This was the statement that Jesus made on your behalf. Why? Because before you were born, he loved you. And you know what else? He knew he was going to do this before you were born. Before you were knit together in your mother's womb, God knew that he would make the ultimate sacrifice for you because he loved you. In all your stank, he loved you. Let me say our stank. Now, sometimes when I think about this, I kind of think like we kind of make God into our dad. And you know, if if dad lost his temper, we kind of think God's going to be the same way, right? Like, yeah, he adopted us into the family, but you know, if he gets angry, then I'm out. It's kind of like, we think God adopted like a cat, like we're the cat, you know, and then there's other people in the house, you know, and then like the kids that he really likes, like the good people, not us, like they start to get allergies based on the cat. And so God has to make a really hard decision, right? Well, you've kind of been messed up. You've kind of been doing things. You've kind of gone back to your own ways. You've not attended church every single week. You know, I think the cat is just out of the house, right? Because cats are not as cool as dogs. Um, But that's not how God sees you. You're not the cat. You're not the servant. You're not the slave. You are the adopted child. Isn't that such good news, friend? This is true adoption. Like, this is the type of adoption that they have in, like, Atlanta. Like, I have a friend um, who was telling me about how in Atlanta, if you adopt a child, you have to write them into your will. You are not allowed to leave them out of your will. Like, you make a commitment when you sign up that they will receive a certain amount from you upon death. Like, this is you saying, this is my child forever. And that's what God does. Isn't that good news? That he looks upon you and says, this is it. You're my child. It's not the cat that he kicks out. So if God is present and he chose you for an everlasting adoption, then this is where we get our third and final point. God thinks about you more than you think about you. God thinks about you more than you do. I don't know if I've really ever, like, thought of that, that he ponders me, that he thinks about me, that he, um, that when he, uh, he doesn't go to bed. When I go to bed, he thinks about me. Because God is the father that you never had, right? He daydreams about you because you are an absolute important child to him. 
In verse 17, it says, God, how precious are your thoughts to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. God's thoughts about us are uncountable. How cool is that? If you're like me, it's weird to think about it that way. Like, um, okay, so I got a call from a pastor like last week. This guy that I like look up to, that I read his books, and he's like, hey, I just want to say I've been hearing like good things about your church and that things are going well. And I'm like, you know who I am, like this pastor? Like I go to these like, uh, I don't know, like conferences and every time I see him, I'm like, hey, my name's Dale Huntington. He's like, I know. <laughs> he told me last time, you know. Um, but it's like, I, 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 I guess for some reason, I just think like he shouldn't know me. You know, I'm just this little guy in San Diego with this little church. But he, yet I have this, this guy that knows who I am. That, that's just like a pastor of a church in Atlanta. <laughs> in the same way, like we have a God of the universe who thinks on you, who, who ponders on you. How cool is that? My first thought is, you know me? Matter of fact, like, who am I, God, that you are mindful of me? That's what the scripture says. And yet he does. There's no escaping God this side of life. So instead of pretending he's not present, which we're good at, what if we chose to embrace the one who loves us more than we love us? God has a poster of you up in his room. He has a teeny bopper magazine with your face on it. Now, this is hyperbole and perhaps a little disrespectful, but, but I, I say to consider, um, God as, to consider God as aloof, that, that is disrespectful. To consider God um, like on his bed with his hands like this and thinking on you, I think that is truer to who God is. That he loves you so much that he thinks about you in that way. In, in, in the scripture, we almost see it as a romantic love for us. That God would love us that much? How cool is that? Now, if God is with you, if God is present all the time, if God is with you in your best times and your worst times, there has to be this thought coming up. If he loves me so much, then why did this happen to me? If he loves me so much, if he's present with me so much, what was he doing when this person hurt me? I'll tell you next week. Just kidding. No, no, no. Okay. Um, like, why didn't he stop and punish that person while they were hurting me? Because we've all been hurt in this room, haven't we? Here's the hard part about grace, friends. This is the very hardest part about grace. God adores them too. God adores that person that hurt you. He is patient with them too, not wanting them to perish, drawing them towards repentance. It's so hard to hear that God's enemy, uh, that our enemy is not God's enemy when, when they have done some despicable things. He loves them and he thinks and ponders on them too. The nature of God's grace is available to everyone, even the most foul and loathsome creatures, even us. Jesus' words from Luke 12, 6 through 7, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Can I read that to you one more time? I'm going to just change it slightly. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet none of them is forgotten in God's sight? Indeed, the hairs of your enemy's head are all counted. Don't be afraid, 
they are worth more than many sparrows. That side of grace is hard. It's really hard because we've been hurt, offended, abused, mistreated by people. And God embraces them as his child. So, I'm going to close with this. It's the end of August, and um, it's basically October, I, I would say. I'm waiting for those October evenings where you feel that crispness in the air. And um, uh, I guess because I became a Christian when I was like 16, I don't know, I loved Halloween and I loved all that weird stuff. You have like, hopefully not a synchronistic pastor who embraces like weird stuff, but I still love some ha- Halloween. So uh, once again, you guys know my email. Um, but not that I'm counting um, or that I've asked Alexa, it's 66, it's 66 days until Halloween. Um, 66 days to Halloween. Something I've loved about Halloween since we moved to the Midwest and then came back was pumpkin patches. Like, how come nobody told me about how cool pumpkin patches were when I was a kid? My parents didn't take me to pumpkin patches, but they're awesome. So um, we used to go to this place called Applejack's Pumpkin Patch in Kansas, and like, there's some things that Kansas does well. They do barbecue really well, and they do like pumpkin patches super well. So when I lived there, we would do pumpkin patches. Um, and in the pumpkin patch, they have hay rides. Um, they have big slides. They have bouncy houses. Like, when I'm 80, you guys, I'm still going to be going to pumpkin patches. Um, and um, you pick out your own pumpkin. Um, but one of the best parts of a pumpkin patch is the corn maze, which is like, I know I sound really hillbilly right now, but it's super fun, you guys. Like, going through the corn maze, trying to get, get your way. And, like, you know, I've learned all the different ways. Like, you put your hand. If you just, like, hold your hand on the side, it'll get you to the exit. We have gone with my kids and we have let my kids go through the maze on their own. Like, I'll go ahead and I'll find my way out. But the kids, at times, perhaps might get a little bit lost. Um, what they don't realize is that I know exactly where they are. Um, they're not as lost as they think they are. I can walk right back in, and I can pull them out, and I'm never far away. I can hear their voice. I can find the way out. I can pick them up. I can embrace them. They're never so lost that I can't get them out of that corn maze. Some of our so-called gods, in quotes, are offended by us. They think we stink. They think we have ugly hearts. Um, And that might be true, but our God does not see us that way. Our God sees the goodness of Jesus when he looks upon us. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ, and it is so good. When he looks upon you and he doesn't see your sins, he doesn't see your mistakes, he doesn't see your errors, he doesn't see your flaws, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice on your behalf. And that is good news. Some so-called God set up castles far away, never wanting interaction. Our God chose a life on this earth and was murdered so that we might be close. Our God thinks about you constantly. He chose you before time was a thing. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've been. And he doesn't really care how awesome you think you are. He just wants you. And so friends, today I want us to go wherever we're going today and consider the fact that God goes with you. That God's there before you got there. That God loves you so much that he's going to be present in everything. No matter how many times you reject him, no matter how many times you hate him, no matter how many mistakes you've made, 
He is present with you. Would you please pray with me? God, I, uh, I sometimes don't like to think about you thinking about me. Because I, I think I always go back to all the things that I get wrong. And yet you are still there. And you are still present. And you are still in love with us. According to your word, we see all these reasons why you love us. And the best reason is because you are good, not because we are. So in this moment, we're going to bring our sins to you and silently confess them. God, we thank you that you forgive us. That when you're with us, you are for us and not against us. That while you are guiding us, you are also um, seeing us for who you desire us to be and you see your son. God, as far as the east is from the west, we know that that is our sin from your sight and we thank you. We don't deserve it. We thank you for your grace and your compassion on us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.